this is a very special wrestling with sports one i am super duper excited to bring you and i did use the word duper which means i'm so excited for those who are new welcome to wrestling with sports it's a hybrid show where we talk a little bit of wrestling a little bit of sports nothing too deep on either end so if you're a fan of sports but you don't like wrestling or you like wrestling but you're not a fan of sports, you can kind of pick and choose through the episodes. I hope that you will go and listen to some of our past shows, some great stuff. But today, Jason Kendall, former Major League Baseball catcher with the Pirates, the Brewers, he played a little with the Cubs, uh, Kansas City, a couple other teams I believe, Demetri Young, who's a Major League Baseball outfielder, I think he played some first base too. We sit down with Jimmy Pardo, who I can't say enough amazing things about this guy, who has given up time, uh, time and time again on different podcast projects I've done to sit down and allow me to interview him. I had fun with him, with the, hanging out with him at Tiger Stadium the one time. It, he is such an amazing, fun guy. There is some questionable language in this. I want to warn you first and foremost that if you have any children probably don't want them to listen to this episode it is a uh, very adult oriented there is some salty language but it is you know it is what it is it makes the show good this week so it is uncensored we try to bring you a for the most part a pretty clean show but this week uh-uh, all bets are off jimmy pardo great interview it's fun now a little more about wrestling with sports we are a very fan-friendly show so if you listen and there's a topic you want to you know, want us to cover, we do a lot of lists, a lot of uh, voting, tournament of champions as we call it. It's kind of a take off the March Madness where we vote to see who goes on and win uh, different things. We've done movies, we've done wrestling, we're going to do other things. We will take requests. I'll give you the phone number and the email address here in a second, but hopefully the show is diverse enough where if you like some wrestling but you don't like sports as i said or you might like sports but you don't like wrestling there's still enough that you can pick through and be entertained so uh without further ado and by the way 248-455-6565 is the call in number you call you leave your name uh where you're calling from and a question a topic uh, spark a debater conversation we welcome your participation in the show uh, if you don't want to do that you can email wrestling with sports at gmail.com over the last few months the show has just blown up so we have a lot of new fans and each week we try to take a second to thank them this week we didn't really get a chance because we had an hour-long interview with jimmy pardo but we thank each and every one of you for downloading subscribing if you have any troubles finding the show just email us and uh we'll send you links we try to do whatever we can to help people find the show we're still relatively new in the grand scheme of podcasting although i've been around for a long time but the show itself is still pretty pretty new it's grown uh, amazing over the last few months so we are very excited we're thankful that each and every one of you download and telling a friend that is the biggest part of the show so if you like sports if you like wrestling if you like some tomfoolery be sure to just give a couple past episodes a listen we would love to have you guys as a fan if you're new and you're waiting for the jimmy pardo uh we're not going to add in any cute music that'll bridge us over so in just like two seconds you're going to hear uh the start of the jimmy pardo interview 
which I didn't expect to have to do an intro to it, but I did. So you'll hear me reintroduce the show. But one more time, if you want to be part of the show, 248-455-6565. Leave your name, where you live, and whatever you want us to talk about. If you have a question, if you disagree with something you've heard, we are more than happy. And your voicemail will probably be probably be played on the podcast so we're really excited about that or wrestling with sports at gmail.com so without further ado jimmy pardo all right guys it's time for another wrestling with sports episode myself dennis fur alongside dimitri young jason kindle and jason we have a guest this week oh and i'm so excited i've been a huge fan and and i can't wait i have so many questions for him and hopefully I, i can get him in um you probably won't with the length of the show, but, hey, uh, no, I'm very, hey, very excited to have uh, Jimmy Pardo with us. Yes, Dimitri. Uh, uh, Dimitri is barely chomping at the bit to ask a question. Uh, I'm I, the answer, Dimitri, is yes. I'm wearing a White Sox shirt because I want you Tigers and Cubs to know exactly where I'm coming from. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is one of the first things I wanted to ask you. Yes, I have never. Uh, this is Jimmy and, and my first time meeting each other, and I've always, I have never ever just met somebody from Chicago that is a White Sox fan. You must have grown up. I mean, it's all Cubs, Cubs, Cubs. Tell me about that. I mean, a well, White Sox fan? Well, first of all, I do. I do not. I. Uh, I am not one of these. I hate the Cubs guys. I'm not that. I don't understand that. I don't. I, I don't hate a single team. What are we mad at? Clothes? I don't. Who gives a shit? Um, right. So I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. Initially, the south side of Chicago, and then we grew up to the south. Then we moved to the south suburbs. And while the first game I went to was a Cubs game uh, with my dad, the second game was a White Sox game, and. I saw a player way before your time, a guy named Alan Bannister, uh, was kind of a utility guy, kind of bounced around from position to position, you know, kind of just a journeyman player who uh, I saw him make two, two things happen at that game. One was he was playing second base and he turned a double play where like he jumped up over the guy sliding in and that picture made the back of the Sun-Times the next day. He also got hit in the head by a pitch and then jumped up and ran to first base. And there's something about that as a kid, I just went, you know what? That's going to be my favorite player. And so he became my favorite player, and then therefore the White Sox became my favorite team, and then I became obsessed with them for uh, most of my life, except for like 86 to 92. I didn't care at all about baseball because I was working in the music business and stuff was different. So that's why I'm a White Sox fan. Long-windedly, there's my answer. I, you know what? I love it, and because it, it's so funny, everybody has a different story, and, and most of the teams are going to be closer to your hometown where you grew up. And I was a huge Angel fan, um, and I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, obviously. But um, that's such a cool story because if, if you get if you look behind the scenes, there's always something that, why do you like this team? And that, to me right there, is amazing because you were watching when it was, uh, not to outdate yourself or myself, I know exactly who you're talking about, but you were, that's, that's how they played the game back then. That is old school stuff. It got hit. All right, I'm going to go to first base. None of this showboat, and you went out and you played. He he probably got torn up at second base, uh, right? And and still uh, made the double play. That's awesome. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, you bet. It was also at a time where uh, you know, and I understand the game changes, and uh, but you know, nobody was wearing protective gear or anything, and nobody had muscles. Like Alan Bannister just looked like a guy who you would have seen just working at a bank if he wasn't working. <laughs> Actually, they all kind of looked that way. All the baseball players back then just kind of looked like dudes that went. Okay, now it's time to go to the ballpark instead of you know. Well, you I guys mean, who... if you go back and if you go back in that era too, because my old man played back there, they had maybe a couple sets of dumbbells and. That's Is that it. right? 
that's pretty much it in the locker room. So, Jason, I, I apologize. I don't know your father. Who, who did your father play for? Uh, I, he I don't for know the, that. Uh, Red Sox. Well, he played for the Padres for most of his career. Um, his name's Fred Kendall. He's a catcher as well. Uh, San Diego Padres, and then he got traded to the Cleveland Indians for two years, and then him and Dennis Eckersley got traded to the Red Sox for a year, and then he went back to San Diego. So, oh, wow. played twelve I, years in the big leagues. And what? And what? What years was that? Uh, what? Uh, Sixty-nine through eighty. All right, so it would have been the time where I was watching baseball, but it, it's also one of those times like when you're a kid, and you guys know this from growing up, you, you kind of only know the other teams from Monday Night Baseball, when that existed, and baseball cards. Like, that's the only way that you really knew other players, but now with you know, when you're able to have the MLB package or play fantasy baseball, you know everybody. But back then, like your dad would have, like, I, you know, unless he was Reggie Jackson or Jim Rice or, you know, Freddie Lynn, he didn't really know many guys. Uh, no, so I apologize absolutely. for not knowing your dad. I did not. You, oh, no, I feel like an not, idiot. not a problem at all. It's, there's a, <clears throat> I mean, heck, I don't think they even had cell phones until I, my first year in the big leagues. So <laughs> thank goodness for that. But right. <laughs> Dimitri. Yeah. Um, I was watching a lot of your clips last night, you know, we're doing, um, <clears throat> Conan O'Brien and, um, you was talking about your son, Oliver and, yes. and just the way that, just the way that he is, and and when y'all watched the movie Brave together, that really um, made me laugh. And then when they went on with that, can you tell me that story, especially with your famous um father-in-law? Sure. Uh, the, the the story is that I did. I took my son to see the movie Brave, uh, which is uh, not as advertised. I kind of advertised it as a family romp. Uh, you know, just another one of those, you know, animated movies that the kid, the whole family is going to enjoy. And it turns out it's a kind of a drama. It's a kind of a, more of a uh, you know, they again, they marketed it as a, uh, a little girl who likes to shoot bow and arrow and ride around on horses and stuff. But uh, it ends up being this bonding movie where uh, a mother turns into a bear and has to fight another bear to death and rips that bear's heart out like it's Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. And, uh, oh, hang on. God damn it. The gardeners come right now. Hang on. I got to close the window, gentlemen. Hey, <laughs> oh. <laughs> And by the way, what kind of a rich asshole do I sound like? Guys, the gardeners are here. Let me close the window. Uh, you can't go out and mow your own lawn during a quarantine, you jerk. Um, Jimmy, don't worry about it. I had to stop the show there, Dave, for the same reason. Uh, all right, we're good. I feel good. I'm getting. I'm, I'm making MLB money. That's what I learned from this. So uh, we're watching Brave, and it, it, it's, a, it's an intense movie for kids. Like, every kid in the movie theater is crying, and... Because they're scared of what's happening on the screen. I look over at my son, and he's stoic. He's just watching the screen. He gets it. And then when it becomes like a bonding movie, like, I really, like, I, it emotionally hit me. Because I felt like, you know, maybe I should be closer with my mom. Maybe I should be closer with my dad. Maybe I'll reach out after this movie. And it really hit me. So I start crying. And my son looks over at me and sees me crying. And no shame. He understands his dad's working out some issues. And <laughs> the movie... <laughs> The movie ends, and everybody, like the, uh, the everybody in the movie theater, like jumps up to get the hell out of there because they can't believe they brought their kids to this movie. And my son, who wants to leave the second that the movie's over to go and play the arcade games, uh, he's sitting there. He's watching every every word of the credits scroll up the screen. And you know, at the time, he's like six, so you know, unless the words "hut" and "pig" show up, he's not going to know what anything up there means, right? He's not going <laughs> to he's not going to turn to me and go, "Hey, Dad, what's a gaffer do?" You know what I mean? He's not going to do that. <laughs> And I'm grateful because I don't know what a gaffer does, which is insane because I'm a I'm in show business and b I have Google. So he he's watching every, every and, and and I'm so proud of him. I'm like, look at this kid. He gets it. These other kids are stupid. They're dumb. They're scared. My kid's smart and he gets it. 
And then the second, the last piece of uh, last word of the of the credits roll up, uh, he stands up in the movie theater and goes, "That's it. I'm never seeing that movie ever again." <laughs> he hated it. Here, I thought I was gonna bond with my kid. Like I'd be on my deathbed going, "We'll always have brave son," and then die. Uh, instead, now he mocks me with it. Uh, in fact, uh, not long after we saw that movie, uh, we were at the beach. And uh, we started, we were in the water and the waves started getting a little big. And I said, uh, hey, Oliver, the waves are getting a little big. You, uh, you want to go in, uh, you want to go out in the sand? Or you want to stay out in the water like a brave little boy? And he goes, brave? I'm never seeing that movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that happened. And then about two weeks after we saw that movie, my, to, to your point, Dimitri, my father-in-law, who is uh, Walter Koenig, uh, who played the uh, uh, Chekhov on the original Star Trek series, uh, he was getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is a man. It, it's like you, it, you know, that's the that's the Baseball Hall of Fame. That is the coolest. That's an MVP. That's the coolest thing you can get in show. I mean, you can get an Oscar and all that, but to get your star on the Walk of Fame is like, you know, it's the thing that when you're a kid doing drama in school, you dream of that. You know, you dream of, hey, maybe one day I'll get to give a speech at the Oscars, or maybe I'll get a, a star on the Walk of Fame. So my father-in-law was getting it, and we're all there, and it was like. It was like a hundred. We, we were in this weird heat wave here in Los Angeles. Like it was 110 degrees for like five days in a row, which is very rare here. And uh, it's sweaty, and we're boiling, and we're and my son's in a suit because it's a it's a respectful day. And you know all the paparazzi is out on, on Hollywood Boulevard, and all the the Trekkies are out there, and all of their costumes and stuff, and uh, like thousands of people out there. And you can see this on YouTube. So they're giving the speech, awarding the star to Walter and they're like, you know, Walter Koenig from Star Trek. It's long overdue. We're proud to present this. And just off to the side, you hear my son go, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I got, I swoop in. You can see me on the YouTube. I kind of just swoop in, give a, give a little nod to camera. So I get the credit, then back off. And I say to, I, I said, Oliver, you, you can't say that. This, this is a big day for grandpa. And he goes, well, it's a little day for me. <laughs> and uh, I now uh, embarrass him six years later with that story. Well played. That, that is so funny because I think we all, once we have children, we all become wimps and sit there. I can, sad commercial, sit oh there and God. start crying. And you look over and there's like, really? What do you do? <laughs> and so I, I get that big time. That is classic, especially because the, the star is like the thing. You get that star, you, you it is the Hall of Fame. Of, yeah. of, of Hollywood. And, it, and, and to your point, Jason, I don't know how you guys are doing there during this quarantine, but for some reason, and I, I, I do cry at the drop of a hat. A commercial will get me, a, you know, a sad ending of Amazing Race will get me, a, something inspirational will get me. But during this quarantine, I feel like everything's getting me. Like, like emotion, like, like my emotions are just right here waiting to come out. Like whether it's, you know, uh, you know, crying or anger or rage, like whatever. I, my emotions are right there. Are you guys experiencing the same thing? J Jimmy, I sit there and watch the voice and I'll work out every morning. I watch the voice and have like a sad story. And, and I sit there on the trip and then I go up, try to find my kids to give them a hug or something like that. And, and I see them more when, when they're not quarantined, they just, I'm not cool. I'm not cool. And I'm like, guys, I used to, I'm probably the coolest dad in, in your whole school. Question. No, it, just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. How, how y'all getting emotional during this time? I just started working out. That's what I do. I just do some push-ups and some squat thrusts. I don't think anybody knows what squat thrusts are. First time you know, ever um, in your yeah. life, Dimitri. Yes. Uh, yeah, I just try to do some writing and stuff. I can't get emotional because I do enough crying watching Grey's Anatomy. 
<laughs> All right, well, you get it out. See, but you get it out during that. <laughs> you so get it out, though. You're right. So it's there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what a squat thrust is. I know what a squat is. I know it affects my quads, but I don't know what a thrust is. Oh, it's when you go down, you put your hands down, and you kick your legs out, and then you kick them back in, and then you stand up. It's like an old school um, exercise right. that we were doing growing up. Is it, it's kind of like a Russian dance? Does it look like that? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say Russian. All of a sudden, we'll have some conspiracy theory going on. Something will pop up. Here hey, anyway. my name is Dimitri. I'm the black Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, I have a, a question that I've always wanted to ask uh, uh, comedians. Is, and do, do you, and obviously today you got your cell phones and, and, and notepads, or I'm, I don't know what you do, but are you just nonstop, 24 7 looking for material and, and to. Because I, I've, I've watched you, I've been a fan of you, and, and you have new stuff all the time. And I just remember when I when I used to play, when I'd catch, I'd wake up like at 2 or 3 in the morning, like, you know, why, why'd you throw the slider? Well, you should throw the fastball. And it was just nonstop 24-7 of me thinking about the game, the lineup, and everything. But I know that, that in your business, you have to come up with new material all the time. Are you, are you a notepad guy, cell phone I, guy? I mean, do you I, do that? I am not. Uh, I am not. A, full disclosure, I'm not a great joke writer. I am. Uh, I'm a guy who is very funny in the moment and I can share a story or whatever. So like, like, for instance, you know, the story about my son and seeing Brave, like I remember leaving there and going, oh, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to make a note of that. Uh, but I'm not really a good joke writer. So uh, but I improvise a lot of my show and I try to bounce off the crowd. Or if you see me like on Conan or doing something like that, you know, I'm grateful that when Conan and I go off the card and we're able to just you know, have a conversation and be funny in the moment. Uh, but there were other guys like Seinfeld where every, everything Seinfeld says or does or sees, he writes down and then really? figures out a way to make that into a joke. And my brain doesn't work that way. My brain will be more like, uh, I'll be, t- I'll tell a story to somebody and somebody will say, dude, you got to make that into your, uh, put that in the act. You got to make that into a bit. Uh, and then that's when I will then go home and go, Hey, you know what? I can, that story about going to target, I can make that work. So that's how I work. Uh, but I think most guys will spend times like Gary Goldman, who's one of the best working right now, or John Mulaney, one of the best working. I know those guys sit down to their computer every day and go, okay, I'm going to write for three hours today. And I can't do that. Boy, do I wish I could, but I can't. Um, that, that is amazing. That, that really is amazing. Cause I, I've always wanted that because I mean, if you're just taking a walk right now, especially at the time like this and you're taking a walk and you see, I don't know, you see somebody trip or fall. I, I, I was just, but just ad libbing it and just off the top of your your head, that is that's actually you're brilliant for doing that because uh, I like to say you're brilliant for doing that because that's how I was calling a game too. So I guess I'm probably brilliant too. But yo, there's no question, um, brilliant. That's what it's about. Was, <laughs> that was just a long winded way for you to get to you calling yourself brilliant. I like that. <laughs> Without a doubt, <laughs> Jimmy. Let me ask you a question and then more importantly tell you how great I was behind the plate. That's, uh... <laughs> let me jump in. You know, here. hey Jimmy, I wanted to tell Jimmy you sound like an agent. Uh, how do I sound like talk, you talk like an agent? You like you would get in there and you can get a deal done. That, I was watching all your stuff last night and I was just like, man, you know, you, you remind me of my old agent. You know, just come in there, shoot the bull, say what you got to say, kind of screws over the crowd. And and me myself, I, I don't think of myself as a comedian at all. I think I'm a little funny, but I was wanting to know how do you get into the art of storytelling because. Every clip that I saw, you were storytelling, and you had me captivated the entire time. Like, I just had to oh, watch you. until the very end. Well, uh, first of all, I'm going to call Scott Boris and see if I can get a job at his uh, agency and see if uh, 
<laughs> once this comedy thing is, I, I, I age out of it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, Dimitri. Again, I think it just goes back to what uh, Jason was uh, asking about. I just, I, I, you know, I'm just kind of a guy who, and I'm using other people's words, that, you know, I have funny in my bones, and I'm just able to, you know, uh, tell a story funny as opposed to writing jokes. And again, I, I go back to it. I, I wish to God I could write jokes. I really do. I wish I could sit down, especially during this quarantine. I wish I could sit down at my computer and go, hey, you know what? I got nothing to do. Uh, you know, how many times could I put off cleaning the closet? So I'm going to sit down and and type and, and write, and I just can't do it. So, uh, you know, I'm sure something will come out once we get back on stage. I'm sure something will come into my head and I'll improvise it. And it'll probably take about about 10 times on stage uh, before I find the actual full story. Uh, the first few times it might be a little joke light, uh, but, you know, luckily my audience and my fans know that I'll eventually find it. Um, I think it's just that, Dimitri. I think I just, you know, luckily I'm able to spin a pretty good story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess the audience is the judge of that. I, I want to jump in and talk more of the showbiz side of things with uh, this quarantine because we we discuss a lot on the show if fans will come back to baseball, when they will, how many will come back. What do you think the quarantine will have Dude. on the comedy industry? Will people come back out or, or is it going to be slow for comics to start getting paid again? Because in my mind, this is probably the best years of comedy the last five years in the history of comedy with – comedians with podcasts people coming out to shows small clubs selling out did you do does this bounce back do people come back i mean how how does this quarantine now affect the comedy industry you know that's a great question and, and, and to your point though about you know like comedy was huge you know in the uh, in the 80s uh, and then in the early 90s it disappeared and it did come back so strongly in the last five years because of podcasting and netflix and stuff like that and and right in the middle of this great boom where everybody's doing well and, and people are really into comedy, here comes this quarantine. And uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I was talking to a club owner recently. He was kind enough to call me and, and, and you know, obviously had to cancel my dates. I mean, you know, I'm, you know then push it to the end of the year and hopefully we'll be able to, to do it then. And he was even already planning on what he's going to do. And, and if you're a couple, like a man and a wife and or on a date, he'll seat those two together, but everybody else is going to be, he's going to put a, a, a chair between everybody. So everybody's still as close to six feet away as possible. But that means you're looking at, assuming people do come out, Dennis, you're looking at what, a third of a room full? If you're taking away every other seat. So that's, you know, maybe half a room at the most. Um, so I think it's going to be weird when we first go. And then also like for the guys like me who live in LA that have to travel to the clubs, Will they have uh, the money to do that after not being open for several months? So are they going to have to hire just local comics? And by the way, there's great local comics in every city. I'm not suggesting you have to go to L.A. Uh, you know, we just happen to be more of a draw than the locals. But the, I think the locals can carry the water for the first few months and get the clubs back going and then start bringing the guys like us back, uh, which sucks for me financially. But I also understand that that's what the clubs will have to do. That's my guess. Um but I think it's going to be weird. I think I think until there's a vaccine, uh, a lot of people would, won't want to go anywhere. Movies, ball games, you know, like there's nothing I would like right now more than to be able to leave uh, at four o'clock today and, and go to Dodger Stadium and watch a game. Like uh, you know, I, I I never I remember '94. I, I went through a horrible breakup and then the strike happened and it was like a one. It was like uh, when the breakup happened, it was like well at least I have baseball. To, to, to watch. And then the strike happened. I'm like, shit, I don't even, I don't even have that. <laughs> and, and I feel like that now with this quarantine, it's like, we're fuck, we're stuck inside. And then we can't even watch baseball. So it's like, I know some people are against baseball going, you know, playing in front of, uh, fanless stadiums or, you know, it, uh, but I, 
I don't know if I'm being selfish, but it's like I, I hope that that happens so that we at home have a distraction for three hours or six hours if you want to watch two games, whatever you want to do. But you know, it's funny you say that because that's what Dimitri we have been trying to tell Dennis because Dennis is he's just like anti no fans in the in the the ballpark. But Dimitri and I both always go back to nine eleven where when we were both playing and you know it was a two two week uh, hiatus and it was I mean I remember the day it happened traveling technical calls and then like the next the following day we hopped on a bus to Chicago to play the Cubs I was with Pittsburgh and halfway there we were told by the union to turn back around and go home and we're going to shut everything down. But I will say this, when baseball did start up, it gave people, just like you said, Jimmy, it gave people a three hour break yeah. to not think of what's going on. And so Dimitri and I had both been telling Dennis, like, you know what? Fans in the stands. Okay. And Dimitri and I both go back to the Arizona fall league. Arizona fall league is for like a double a prospects that might be on the verge of making the big leagues. There's nobody in the stands unless, I, like myself, I was fortunate enough to play with Michael Jordan when, well, not play on the same team, but against him. So I knew once a week that there was going to be people in the stands because everybody wanted to see Michael Jordan. Right. It's not great for a player. The veteran players are going to be so much more prepared. But Dimitri and I have also been talking about is I worry about the minor league kids and because mm. uh, um, they're going to there's not going to be a minor league season. Bottom line. Um, but the veteran players will be ready. But what do you do in the stands? Do do you, do you eliminate the 40, I don't know, say 45,000 uh, uh, capacity stadium to where you have to have six feet apart from everybody? I mean, now, now you're not going to make that. But I don't think it matters. I just think they need to get out, play. I don't care where they play. I don't, and if they're talking about Arizona, but you're right. It's a three-hour out for the, the, the front-line workers, et cetera, et cetera, just for everybody just to kind of, you know what, let's watch our team play for three hours and Dennis for whatever reason is completely opposed of it but I've heard a lot of people are are opposed to it but let me ask you a question you guys are ball players so I have a question for you guys because I heard the idea oh. floated of if they did it here in California uh, as opposed to Arizona or Florida because of the heat and what have you you've got Dodger Stadium you got Angels you got San Diego you've got uh, Oakland and you got San Francisco so you've got all of those within driving distance would you guys as players like that more than being holed up in Arizona and having to play at the same stadiums, or uh, or does it not matter to you guys? For me personally, <clears throat> California is definitely better. I'm in Ventura County myself, so I'm not too far from you, and we have beautiful weather. It's not going to get 120 degrees during the summer, where if we're trying to have baseball during the summer, I mean, it's going to be too hot, and you're going to have to open up the roster a little bit to be able to to do that whereas in california like you say you have and you can locate between dodgers stadium anaheim i i wouldn't be opposed to doing that at all that to me that's more feasible than being in in arizona yeah. pretty much in one spot burning up the entire year but if we listen to uh <laughs> president trump hey the heat's gonna burn off the <laughs> coronavirus yeah. Yeah, let's not listen to him. Well, let's, let's, let's listen to experts, right? <laughs> I, I think what I think what they'll do is they'll they'll go to the retractable roof stadiums. Whether yeah, that makes sense. Milwaukee, too. New Rangers Stadium, uh, Arizona, when they do play in the bigger ballparks. But um, I, I just think that the, the weather-wise in Florida and Arizona, the spring training sites, and I think that's why they, you know, obviously we're picking those um, is where they want to play. But no, it, it's a tough situation. It's uncharted waters. It's uncharted territory. Whatever you want to call it, it it's just, it's it's a weird, weird time from from 
being an actor, comedian, to a ball, you know, an athlete, it's it's to to any type of work you do. I mean, Dennis is on the front line right now, going helping making um, ventilators for for people. Um, it is oh, th- so. It, whatever you, you do, you're welcome. It, it is. It's crazy. It's a crazy time, and and I just hope people stay in until because I know that certain states are starting to open up, and I don't know, it's just a scary time. Yeah, just stay, stay in, and, and you know, it, it, back to the the stadium. Remember the game the Orioles and the White Sox played in that empty stadium while the riots were yes. going on in Baltimore. You know, I yes. I sat home and watched that game because I thought it'd be interesting to watch it. And admittedly, it was freaking weird to not have yeah, any ambient my, sound my or anything. Was in that game. What, uh, was playing in that game. That's right. His brother was in that game. That's right. Uh, I think I've had your brother, you, and Jason all on my fantasy teams, and I want to thank you for successfully getting me into fourth place each and every year. So, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I hope hey, you had me early in my career. I, I didn't. Uh, uh, here's, a fun, here's, a, here's a nice story that you guys will enjoy. I hope you will anyway. My buddy Paul uh, Gil Martin used to host a show on uh, TBS called Dinner and a Movie, and he was down... Uh, at a game, because uh, uh, TBS is in Atlanta, of course. And uh, so he was at an Atlanta game, and he had a bunch of Braves call me. And I think, I forget who the Braves were playing, but Bobby, whoever, was Bobby Bonilla on the Braves at any point, or was he playing, maybe they were playing I the Mets. I can't remember. They must have be been playing the Mets. The Mets. Yeah. Or maybe it was an all-star game. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the all-star game was in Atlanta. At any rate, uh, Bobby, uh, he had Bobby Bonilla call me on the telephone. And I just pick up the phone and he goes, is this Jimmy? And I go, yeah. And he goes, Jimmy, it's Bobby Bo. And I go, yeah? He goes, Bobby Bonilla. I go, yeah. And he goes, I hear you play fantasy baseball. I go, I do. And he goes, uh, am I on your team? I go, As a matter of fact, you are on my team. And he goes, am I playing? I go, I got to be honest with you. You're on the bench this week. And he goes, how do you put Bobby Bo on the bench? How do you put Bobby Bo on the bench? I never put Bobby. You know what? I'm going to hit home run tonight just to, just to get back at you. And son of a bitch, if he doesn't hit a home run that night. And uh, <laughs> that he did, yep. I thought it was hysterical that uh, here's Bobby Bo mad that he's not on some guy's fantasy baseball roster, uh, or at least active. That, that yeah, is and he has so a day funny. named after him, too, July 1st, Bobby Bonilla Day, where he collects um, from that deferred, that's that right. deferred contract. That's right. $20 for 25 years. How long does he collect that, too? 25 years. It was $20 million for 25 years. I'm pretty, I'm pretty like sure. Like 2035? Up until that Something point. like that. I mean, yeah. it's like every it's the greatest year. contract ever signed in the history of everything. Would you guys rather? Like, and I apologize if, I, if I'm asking too many questions, but no. it, is that something for you guys? Would you prefer to get a million bucks a year over getting that crazy, you know, just lump sum at at, at a point? Or do I not understand the is game? I'm talking about the, um, divorced or pre, like pre-divorced or. Ooh. Well, I guess I I, <laughs> I I don't know your personal life. <laughs> Um, no, you know what? It's a smart move now. I mean, you look at Bobby Bo now. Jeez, it's a unbelievable. And, and and you look at a lot of when you start making some money, especially when you're younger. The next thing you know, I mean, from taxes to everything else, because I grew up in California as well. Um, but taxes in California. But now you get taxed everywhere you play, even if you're there for only three days. So I mean, ah. it it you might get your uh, 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 say fifty million dollar contract, but you're Technically, only getting really twenty-five, but after you, you're ended up, so people blow through it, and, and you know you got to have a, a good head on your shoulders now and nowadays, just to be honest with you, to um to keep that chunk of change and and not go through a divorce if you don't uh, uh, have to. <laughs> good advice, thank you. That's good marital advice. <laughs> yeah, you know what though, Jimmy? Another question I want to ask you is, uh, and this might sound dumb, I don't know, but when you go from your stand-up to 
and I want to ask you about the Conan stuff as well. When you go from there to like a late night, how hard is it to censor yourself? Because I, I've watched you. Yeah, I know what you do. And then because I just know that from speaking and trying to every once in a while, is it difficult for you? Or do you just automatically got it and know, that, okay, you know what? I'm on uh, ABC or NBC or whatever it may be. Um, I'm golden. You know, you, it, 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 does it just click for you? It's interesting because, like, I uh, I swear a lot. I, I don't do really. I don't really do dirty material, but I swear a lot. Um, in fact, my my son, who's twelve, he came to see me recently. Uh, obviously, not that recently, but you know, a few months ago. And I may have said fuck three hundred times in my set. And I just every time I said it, I apologized. I, Oliver, I'm so sorry. Oliver, I'm so sorry. So I swear a lot. Uh, so I too was like, you know, it's weird that when you go on TV, Paul Reiser gave me advice like twenty five years ago now. Uh, that everybody's always worried, like, if you swear at the clubs, you know, well, what about TV? How you doing? It's like, you know what? You swear in the clubs when you go on TV, you don't. And there is something in your head that just clicks that makes you go, you know, now you don't swear. You know, it's like it's the same as, like, doing a corporate gig or something. Like, you could swear in the clubs, but if you're doing a gig for GM or something, they don't watch you swearing at a gig at 4 in the afternoon. So your brain, you know, hopefully is smart enough to not swear. So. Exactly. I think it's more just I, I think it's just instincts kick in more than don't swear, don't swear, don't swear. You know, um, yeah, I think it's just that, Jason. I don't know. I, uh, you know, sense memory of knowing how to be a human being. I think it's got a kick in. And, and, and it's just doing it over and over and over again. No, I think that's. Yeah. Now, that said, if I, if I go to if I go to a PTA meeting or whatever, like if I go to a school <clears> meeting, somehow my brain doesn't tell me not to swear at those. I. I'll say, well, you know, this fucking kid, and I just see the teacher's eyes open up, like, yeah, Jesus, sorry, I didn't mean to swear, and uh, so I, I know when to do it most of the time, but sometimes I still swear like an idiot. Have you ever slipped on like a, a live? You know uh, what? I, there, there was one Conan gig where I said uh, I did say uh, use the f word, but it was part of the, uh, it's part of the story. Like the story doesn't work if you don't use that word, and I have to be honest, the audience wasn't used to it, so instead of like being uh, getting the laugh that usually happens with that word, the audience kind of went oh, because they weren't used to hearing that on TV. Um, and so, in retrospect, I, I would I would have changed it, but I thought it would still get the make the same impact that it would you know that does when I tell the story. Do they in just a club bleep it out? Like, and they bleep it out for television. Second? Yeah. Um, awesome. So yeah, you're just kind of kicking. No. So, so hey, and I'll ask, this is I'll, the Conan O'Brien gig. Did you have to go to a casting? Were you guys buddies? Because I mean, I'm a huge Conan O'Brien fan, and I watched him every night. Especially, he was. You guys were usually on after games. Uh, um, by the time we finally got home from baseball games, so that was. So I watched him every night. I watched you every night. How'd you get that gig? Because what an unbelievable gig! I, I always thought. Well, I got uh, very. I was very very lucky. I was, uh, um, you know, just kind of bouncing around, you know, comedy clubs and doing shows here in L.A. and you know, getting some acting gigs and getting some hosting, uh, game show hosting gigs and, you know, stuff that I enjoy doing. And I, I had done a few shows with Andy Richter, just a few. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't even know. I, I would, at that point, I would say that we were acquaintances and maybe, maybe friends, but we were, we were certainly not close, Andy Richter and I, and I had never met Conan O'Brien. I, I knew one of the writers on the show. And when the show was leaving New York to come to LA, um, Back in New York, they used one of the writers, a guy named Brian McCann, would go out and do the warm-up before the show. Uh, he would write all day, and then he would do the warm-up, and then the show would happen. And when they moved out to L.A., I guess they decided, hey, you know, we have the budget, a bigger budget now. It's the Tonight Show. Uh, we should hire a guy to just do warm-up. 
And Conan said, but I don't want one of those regular warm-up guys. I don't want a guy doing dance contests and throwing out candy and all that. I want a guy who's just a funny guy. And Andy Richter, and I thank him to this day, you know, again, I did, and I wasn't all that close with Andy, but Andy said, the one guy that could do 10 minutes to an hour off the top of his head that has the same sensibilities as our show is Jimmy Pardo. That's who we should hire. And I got a call saying, hey, the Conan people want to meet you uh, to do warm-up. And I went in. The head writer, Mike Sweeney, told me that story, and I said, uh, uh, he said, are you interested? I go, well, I really didn't move out here to be a warm-up comic, and, and, they, and then they called Conan over, and Conan's like, what do you mean you don't want the job? And then I was like, what am I talking about? I'll take this gig. And so that's how it, that's how it happened, and, and it was, and my agent even said, uh, my, my, uh, said you know, what's, it, what's great about this gig is Conan's not stupid. Conan's the, the sharpest guy in late night. He's going, he's going to see how funny you are, and it's going to go from, he's going to, you're going to start out as a warm-up, but he's going to end up using you for more. And sure enough, you know, it took a little time for that to happen, and rightfully so. I, you know, had to prove that I could be you know, funny, and uh, before you know it, I was doing remotes for them. I was doing, I was in sketches. I filled in for Richter as the co-host a couple of times. And uh, it ended up being, uh, you know, I've been gone now from, I guess, two and a half years I've been gone from that gig. But um, it was, you know, I, I, without hyperbole, Conan O'Brien hiring me was the greatest thing to happen. It was, you know, it just changed, you know, financially. And it also gives you that security of, you know, probably like the same as a ball player. It's like you have a good contract and you, and you can then relax. You don't feel like you're playing for your money. And I was, I had this contract for a few years to work at Conan. So I had security to then be, you know, take chances with my podcast, take more chances with stand up. So it provided a lot of things in addition to more exposure. So it was all great. So I, I'm grateful to Andy Richter for suggesting me and Conan for hiring me. It's uh, I'm very, very grateful. Now you brought up two names, um, Brian McCann and Mike Swaining. You know, those are baseball players, right? (laughs) Uh, Brian, well, that's what I'm talking about. I didn't know they were moonlighting as, as the Hollywood types. But, um, uh, as soon as I, they I left the game, one, they went and wrote. I watched, um, Sweeney definitely I not. Your, I watched one of your interviews about you traveling to one place, getting paid 150 bucks, and that's the one thing that a lot of people don't see is how guys come up to get to the spot where you're at now. And just like we talk about with baseball players in the minor leagues, you know, you go into the different comedy stores and stuff like that. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit more about? Uh, well, let it, me it, know. How it you, is. You kind of nail that. I mean, that's when you start out, obviously you don't get paid at all when you're bouncing around doing open mics. You're just trying to get exposure and then, and get better and proving your craft. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when you first start getting booked, at least when I did, you know, I would, I would make a, I, I left the job at MCA records at the, you know, in the eighties, which was a great, you know, job to have in the record business at the time. And I left that to go make 150 bucks a week. Sometimes some weeks were $75 a week. And, Luckily, my mom and stepdad were kind enough to let me live at their house and, and I didn't have to pay rent. But, uh, you know, you're, you're going there to make no money to get better. And the headliners, at, 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 when I started, the headliners were making like 10,000 bucks a week. Like they were making crazy money and I'm making 150 bucks. And but I understood that's how it worked. You know, just like, again, with you guys, with the minor leaguers or or the, the other thing I like uh, paying your exact and then. I always, I always like to equate it with the journeyman PGA golfer. Like everybody assumes that the PGA golfers are all rich millionaires like they do with baseball players, but the journeyman golfer who doesn't make, who makes maybe two cuts a year, that guy lost money for the year. He's living out of his car. He makes no, and that's how we were. And, and, and there are still road comics 
that's how you live your life. You live out of your car. You hope to God the gig gives you a hotel for a few days. Um, you know, and then when, luckily when you get to be, you know, upper levels, you get, you know, you get a hotel, you get, you know, uh, proper money. And so on. thank God that, you know, that's where I'm, uh, you know, once we get out of this quarantine, we'll be back to that. But, um, uh, it's rough when you first start out, but you know, if you, if it's something you have to do, you know, which is, I feel like comedy is something, if it's in you and you have to do it, you have to do it. You don't have a choice. Uh, it's not like, Oh, I always want to give comedy a try. It's like something like that drives you to do it. You got to pay all those dues, like Jason said, and just take your lumps and, you know, have shitty shows and make crappy money. And hopefully that it all, you know, pays off in the end. Do, do you have a crappy story that you could tell us like living uh, out of your car or, I mean, I'm sure you have a million, but like uh, one that just pops off the top of your head. Well, there's, you know, I've, I've told the story many times of, you know, uh, I, I've been chased in my car twice after shows because uh, some audience members did not care for me. Um, um, uh, one was in Saginaw, Michigan, uh, where um, uh, I did a show and, and um, the, the opening act was bombing so badly. He, he bailed. He was supposed to do 30 minutes and he bailed after 15. And then I went up and I was supposed to do 30 minutes, but we didn't get paid. Uh, if the whole show didn't go an hour. So I now had to do 45 minutes to make up for this guy's time. And so it was obvious that they hated me too. And uh, so I'm just struggling and just, just, just literally just, you know, if I was a boxer, I'm in the corner just getting hit, you know, hit after hit and just, <laughs> and just sucking so badly. And, and um, I was I eventually, so I was like, uh, all right, well, I'm going to tell you guys one more thing. And a guy goes, finally. And I go, what do you mean finally? And he goes, you suck. And Jesus. I, I said, you waited 45 minutes to, to, to tell me that? He goes, well, I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. I went, for 45 minutes? I go, it's, it's pretty obvious early on that I was sucking. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the audience got on my side, and they're laughing at me reacting to this guy. And this guy literally just, you just saw him, like, go from thinking he was winning this fight to losing it. And he just starts getting madder. And you could just see, like, he's just getting madder. And he starts doing, you know, punching his hand into his fist like he's going to beat me up. And so I walk off the stage and the other act goes, you better get out of here, man. I go, yep, you're damn right. I better. And so I grab my coat and I run to my car and sure enough, this guy and his buddies are chasing after me. And, uh, I luckily I got to my car and took off, uh, and got away from them. But the next night I go to the Denny's, uh, after our show and who walks in, but that guy and his buddies. And I'm like, mother effer. And, uh, and it's like, and they, they, the guy sees me, he goes, and I even see him like mouth to his, that's the guy. And it was like, we're done at Denny's. We get out of the Denny's. We run to my car and get out of there. Uh, were, they trying to, were they trying to sea bass your ass? Now, I don't know what sea bass means, but I'm going to say yes. They were trying to sea bass me. Well, hey, hang on now. Oh, from, from Dumb and Dumber, yeah. Dimitri. Oh, I don't know. Yes, I'll say yes. I don't know. Dimitri, Jason, have you guys ever been booed out of a stadium? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, of course. When, <laughs> when, when we're when we visiting team, yes. But also at home when you're when you're slumping or you're making error, or yeah, you're making you a type of, uh, or bad. you're making some money and then you make an error and you're slumping. Yeah, they, see, Pennsylvania. I always say people say, oh, you can play in Boston, you can play in New York. No, no, no. Okay, they say that's tough. You can play in Pennsylvania. And I have some stories for you guys later, but <laughs> Pennsylvania, if you get death threats here and there that are sent to the ballpark or da, 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 because you're making a certain amount of money. But in Pennsylvania, I'm going to follow you home. Yeah, okay. You look back and there's this guy trying to follow you 
because where you when you buy a house out there, it's who bought it, how how much it's all public knowledge. Right. And so yeah, I've had some stories out there and, and it's people are sick. People are absolutely sick and, and but you know, they love their sports and yeah. I'm yeah. sure it's just You're like actors crazy enough to follow me home. <laughs> Well, they, they, I, I think they figured out that I was a little bit nuts too eventually. But when you, yeah, when you're struggling and, and you're making more money than the, the the team, then yeah, it's 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 tough. And you know, if it's sent to the ballpark, all right, you know, hate mail or whatever. But when it's sent to your actual house and you and you go home after a game or you wake up in the morning, get your mail, and you're like, geez, this guy or wow. this woman, whoever, is knows where I live. Those are little things that yeah, they they do happen. I mean. Um, and, is, and isn't that insane? Like you guys, you're just playing a game, and they're and they're that affected by it. Like I, I better let this guy know I'm mad that he struck out three times. Well, I, I didn't like really that's... understand, and I didn't understand until, um, you know, I, I think I lost some money on one of the Super Bowls or something like that, and I'm like, yeah, what, are you, what are you doing? You can, I'm falling <laughs> home. <laughs> right. Now, listen, I got to talk about Never Not Funny in your podcast. And if people have not heard it, go out and listen to it. It's one of my favorites. And I truly mean that. Uh, I've now been listening to you during your quarantine episodes, which is a totally different feel from your live shows when you have your guests into your studio to do them. Are you guys mindful that, you know, you don't want to do too many in advance because once this thing's over, you want to get people back into the studio? Is there a fine line you're walking between how many in advance you record versus, you know, when this thing's over, uh, kind of thing like that? Well, you know, we haven't really changed our schedule. The only thing we've changed is we do, we're recording two on Mondays instead of one. Uh, we usually record on Mondays and Thursdays. And so we're recording uh, both of them on the Monday because our, my, my co-host and producer, Matt, uh, needs to go to the studio to work uh, the board and all that, and the rest of us are all at our houses. So we ne- we never really bank episodes. Uh, you know, we 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 have some live shows and stuff that we have in the can uh, in case somebody gets really sick and can't do a show. But otherwise, uh, we're kind of just uh, sticking to our same schedule. And honestly, thank God because you know it gives me something to do on Mondays. And 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 in fact, when we're done recording those two shows, I'm bored out of my mind and I'm depressed. Like, well, there's my activity for the week. You know, it's like that is that's actually hilarious because I think the the reason Dennis is asking um, you because we know that you're the best of the best. You, you're the best one out there. You have been. It's oh, all public nice. knowledge, and that's why we were like, "Oh my, are you kidding me? You got Jimmy?" So I think he's asking because we're the lower of the low. So he's just trying to ask. I think <laughs> hey, help us out a little bit. Is what I will uh, listen. I, I will of course uh, tweet and promote this episode, and uh, people will get a chance to listen to it. And because uh, I've been able to tell some stories and and, and interact in, in a way that I haven't had a chance to. You know, when you're not, you know, talking to athletes is different than talking to actors and comedians. So it's uh, fun to talk about different things. Uh, so they'll be excited to hear this. So uh, you guys will see a bump in your numbers this week. So you're welcome. Now, well, no, gr- I, honestly, greatly appreciate it. And I know that you got to go, I think. But I have one more question I'm, to ask you because I love this show. Uh, Jason, Escape hey, games. I've got nowhere Escape. to go. I've got nowhere okay, to go. Well, I'm then, fucking then, locked then, in my then, house. Please tell me about the escape game. I loved it. I loved it. And I love the escape oh. games. I play them on my phone. I take the kids. Do... Why did that show go away? I was, was so locked into it. It was, uh, thank you. You're talking about a show called Race to Escape that I. Yes, Race to Escape. Um, hosted in 2015. That And, and that's yeah. the reason I left Conan. I, I, I got hired to host that gig. And that was, that. I got the opportunity. That was another great story. Uh, that really never happens to guys at my level in that I got the call to have the meeting 
and they just said, uh, hey, we're doing this show for the Discovery Channel. Uh, I'm sorry, for Science Channel, not Discovery. They're, they're all part of the same yeah, thing. Uh, for Science Channel. Um, and they told me all about it, and I was like, wow, that sounds great. And I was also up for another job at that time, uh, oddly enough, on the Playboy Channel. Um, so oh, it was, yeah, what are you doing? It was going from science and Playboy, like two different worlds. <laughs> and uh, and it was and they they at the end of this lunch, this guy Riaz said, uh, so uh, what do you think? And I said, well, sounds great. So you know, keep me posted. And he goes, oh no no, the gig is yours if you want it. I'm like, what? I've never been. I, I I've gotten pilots that way, but I've never got a series like direct a series. So he's like, so if you want the gig, it's yours. And I was like, oh okay okay I. I I know that happens to famous people. It doesn't happen to guys like me. So I was taken aback by it. And I, I was, to your point, Jason, I, I was never more proud to work on I mean, I was very proud to work at Conan, of course. But I was so proud to host that show because it was a show that families could watch, that everybody can get into, that it was not one of these salacious reality shows. It was, you know, uh, for people that don't know what it was, it was two different escape rooms with two teams of three of the people that never met each other until the game, be, the lights come up in the room and it begins. They're identical rooms, and they're not only chasing a clock to escape the escape room, they're also trying to beat the other team. And if the, uh, whatever team could do that faster would win some money. What, 20, uh, it was $25,000. I mean, it was a good yeah. chunk of change. Uh, now, luckily for the producers, they never had to pay out the $25,000. They, you know, I, <laughs> I think the most might have been five or seven. Uh, but we ended up doing, I want to say, eight episodes of it, and uh, might even be only six episodes of it because it was such a big show. They had to build a new escape room every episode, and um, I, I literally, Jason, I, I, I hear even to this day, it's five years later that, that, that since that show's been on the air, and I'm not kidding. Once a week, minimum, I get an email from somebody saying, "Any chance of escape to uh, race to escape to come back? Is there any? What happened to race to escape? What happened to race to escape?" And it was we got caught up in. Uh, new management and stuff like that, and the new uh, programming director didn't like the uh, didn't like the show for some reason, and 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 canceled us after our first season. I literally thought that show was going to be on for years. I thought like, I loved it absolutely. You. One, you did an amazing job, and like I said, that was the reason. Like when I say I play escape games on my phone, my wife will be like, "Okay, you, you done?" I'm like, well, I got to try to find it. Was unbelievable, and we have you know obviously these new um, businesses are opening up all around us. Right. We, we're fortunate enough to have about two or three around us, and we go all the time. We've we've even gone to ones that we you know already have uh, uh, you know beaten. Right. So no, I just I love the show, and I was just I'm one of those fans that is like, hey, I, I would love to see this start up again because I yeah. loved it. Me too. I and and even as a even though I why I hosted the show and was grateful to host it, even watching it, it was like even if I took myself out of the equation, I would have watched that show. I would have watched the show with my family if you know if Joe Rogan hosted it. And you know, like I, <laughs> uh, I just uh, I, I thought it was a great show, and and I'm really bummed that it that it went away so quickly, mainly because I also left Conan to go to, to go do it. <laughs> well, yeah, so, exactly. Well, now so you think of the, that guy's name. Let me know. I'll go, I'll find him. Now, yeah, shake him down, would you? Now, Jimmy, I don't know how much yes. time you have left here, but there's a game we like to play on this show yes. where I'm in. You and I are fans. That's you don't win anything, but you and I are fans. And listen, Jason and Dimitri played with a lot of ball players, and we love a little bit of gossip. So we randomly throw out different baseball players' names and sit back and listen to them tell some stories about uh, 
playing with them or playing against them. So I don't know if you have any guys off the top of your head, but I can throw out a few names and give you a second to think of guys that you might want to hear a story about. But uh, got some time to throw out some names and be a fan of baseball? I do. I think both of you guys play during this uh, era. Uh, any uh, maybe at the the tail of his. Uh, uh, did you, Jason? Were you at, were you at, on the same uh, the Cubs when so, uh, Sammy Sosa was there? Or were you coming after him? I was after him, but I played against him. So did Dimitri because we were all we were in the National League Central, so we played against right. him. You know, the nineteen times a year or whatever you played, and obviously played you know maybe six times against the other divisions. But yeah, no, we were both there the whole the whole uh, way. So do we have any, uh, do we have confirmation Sammy was juicing, or do we just all well, just assume he was? Or? I don't know if he's juicing. I know he's white right now, and his, <laughs> yeah. his uh, rookie yeah, card is probably going to be worth some money. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm going to tell you what, Sammy was, uh, he could hit the he could hit a baseball. I, I, I don't know him too much personally. Dimitri, you might have more stories, but I mean, he was always cool to me. Um, obviously, when everything came out and, you know, it was like, uh, you know, I, it is what it is, I guess. But, I mean, bottom line, in my opinion, he's only going to – the whole steroid era, if you took steroids, all you're doing is you're cheating your family. This is just straight, straight mind – because you're going to die 10 years early. You're not going to be there for the another 10-year period to watch your, your, your family grow up, kids, grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. But I can honestly say Sammy was – I went to Japan with Sammy, and, and that was the year that him and uh, Mark McGuire, obviously the, the whole chase that kind of brought baseball back a little bit. Um, and he hit a home run his first. It was a, a, an exhibition game, and Japan baseball is different. He hit a home run. I, I want to say this is on YouTube or whatever, but we were losing in, in an exhibition game against the Japan All-Stars, and he hit a, like a two- or three-run home run, I believe, to right field. And uh, and it was one of those, like, okay, somebody threw up and in on somebody, and it's like, okay, we know this is kind of a, a fun game and fun you know, for the fans, and we're making some money, but wait, wait, you just almost dropped Nomar Garcia apart up by his neck. Sammy hits a home run. He comes. He, he he touches home plate and he looks to everybody. He drops a bow. It was a pretty cool moment just to be yeah. a part of that team. But uh, I have nothing bad or, I mean, he, he was awesome time. I I always loved I mean, him as a he, player. I loved him as well. You know, being I also had the same agent as he did at the time. So I would see him out in Chicago, and I was a younger player, so I would have my old high school buddies flying to Chicago or whatnot, and. And Sammy was nice as pie, sat there and had a conversation with him. Well, I'm going to go into a story about 1999. We opened up there, and um, needless to say, Sammy Sosa runs out and does his thing in right field, and he has the American flag. He's running down there and stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going I'm to do the same thing. So I did the same thing. I run out there to right field. <laughs> And the entire time, you know, they're sitting there. And I was a bigger ball player than I am now. I'm like 235. I was about 270 when I played and um, and bigger. But uh, I was grabbing my genitalia the entire time, like, F you, F you. So the top, so the top of the sixth inning, Jeffrey Hammonds is in center field. And all of a sudden, he just turned around, and, and I'm in right. And he points to the stands. There's a six-foot inflatable penis with my name spelled correctly, D-M-I-T-R-I. A lot of people like to put the I in front of the M. Spelled correctly, all I could do is take my hat off and start. I mean, they were just holding it up, too. It was a big, long penis, too. 
And so after that, just tip my cap to the fans, and I was like, I'll never imitate Sammy again. <laughs> oh, he's like the he's like the Beatles in that, in that era. It was it was pretty cool to watch. Well, I uh, can I Dennis? Can I ask one more question? Please. Uh, we got so time. maybe I mean I think this was before your guys' era, but uh, maybe you know this. There was always rumors that the character in Major League Willie Mays Hayes was based on a real player. Do you guys know who that real player was by any chance? No, and I and I, I, I don't, Mays and I should because I was with Milwaukee. I was with Euchre, uh, Pete Vukovic, who was Clue Haywood, the first baseman. He was my pitching coach in Pittsburgh, and I still talk all the time t- today. Um, and you know when he when he was up hitting it, and he said, "Hey, how are your wife and my kids?" That was his line. Oh, is and, that right? And Euchre ad libbed or ad libbed uh, a lot of that as well. But um, I do not know who exactly. I mean, if you have any idea, I mean, I would say. I, I, is, it, is it Kenny Lofton? I was going to say it'd be Kenny oh, Lofton. It, That's exactly what I was going to say. If anybody was was I'll Kenny, have to find that out. Yeah, please do because I it's uh, one of those like I, I I I can't pull any names right now, but I remember hearing different rumors about who it could be. Uh, so I I figured I'd go to a couple of experts. Well, no, you know what? I, I I don't know that, and I, I know that it was filmed in Milwaukee County. Most of those games. I will say this. I was actually listening to the MLB channel. I think I told uh, Dimitri and Dennis that um, uh, Jabu, uh, he he actually hit a home run out of the ballpark because they, they had the the, um, the stands there after, you know, after they finished the game in Milwaukee and the uh, it's extras. And so he actually hit a ball. He said, he goes, it barely went out. Like, it barely went out, but. He goes running around the bases and the crowd going nuts. It's probably like a Saturday night firework night or something like that. But he said he actually hit a ball out instead of having the the jugs machine, you know, shoot the ball out. So I did hear that the other day. That was actually really cool. Now, in honor of Jimmy being a White Sox fan, I'll throw out two names here for you guys to gossip about. Let's start with one. uh, I know you played with Jason. How about Frank Thomas? Oh. Frank was, he was without a doubt the coolest guy in the world. Wow. Boy, did he bitch. He bitched and bitched. <laughs> ball could be right down the middle of the plate. And that's a ball. What you talking about? And we'd be like, Frank, geez, he. So we had Kangaroo Court in our clubhouse. And we had such an unbelievable team as 2006. Um, we went to the playoffs, swear we should have won the World Series, but we had too many days off, in my opinion, um, at the Coliseum because the Yankees and Tigers were playing. But I was the judge. And it was we had one hell of a party at the end of 2006. Trust me, we had so much money. Nick Swisher just, just, I mean, he must have had. He got fined every time, but Frank <laughs> would always get fined for bitching. Like, hey, big Frank, come on, man. The ball's right down in the middle. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Go back of the video, show him on the video, and be right down the middle. Go, ah, well, yeah, yeah. You guys are probably right. You probably right. But no, but Frank <laughs> was the biggest sweetheart in the world. Most amazing person. I, I can't say one negative thing about him. He was just a great teammate, and, and boy, did he help carry us. And I will say this. With your White Sox, it was really, really cool because that year we went back to um, Chicago, and um, obviously Frank Thomas is a Hall of Famer, and he's Frank Thomas, but first at bat, boom, home run, standing ovation by everybody. Once again, it was like a Friday or Saturday night. Next at bat, I think he got walked. Third at bat, boom, home run, standing boo. It was <laughs> awesome, though, because, I mean, when his name was announced and people, I mean, the, the whole place was nothing. It was sold out at Comiskey or whatever. I don't even know what it's called now. But um, it was really, really cool moment because we all knew how big uh, uh, 
big he was and that he's a future Hall of Famer. And when he hit that first home run, you talk about goosebumps. Yeah. It was awesome. But when he hit that second home run, oh, and the boost, it, it was just like, it was legend stuff. So, right. Uh, very, very cool. <clears throat> cool one to bring up, Dennis. Dimitri? Uh, Dimitri's uh, not there, Dennis. He's oh. uh, here. He goes. Come on, Dimitri. Get back. Come on, D. There he is. Frank well, Thomas. What do you got you on about Frank Thomas story? I just like the ass that he's doing now. What are they? Uh, I, really I mean, I was on the same card as Frank Thomas, but um, you know, had comparisons to him and stuff. And then you know, being an opposing player, you know, when we sit there and watch him hit, because he wore his pants so tight, he would give us that reverse camel toe. <laughs> there right there, Dimitri Young, Frank Thomas. Look wow. at that. So I would bet out there day for him. I'm amazed that you have that at the ready. That's fascinating to me. He he does. He has right? so much. It's, it's a long story, but. <laughs> and uh, let's go with someone I know Jimmy hates as a manager. I don't know how he feels as him as a player, but Robin Ventura. I think, if, if, before these guys jump in, I think Robin Ventura is one of my favorite players of all time. I think he was, uh, he should not have been hired to manage. That Those are my thoughts on that. Uh, my nicest thoughts on that as a fan who doesn't understand the game. <laughs> No, Robin Ventura, a great ball player, played against him when he was with the Mets. And, uh, you know, the first, every time I see Robin Ventura, the first thing I think of is not the 48-game hitting streak that he had at, at Oklahoma State when he was in college, but when he decided after he got hit to charge Nolan Ryan and <laughs> take um, six knuckles, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I why did you do that? Went on in your head that you know what? I'm gonna go charge Nolan Ryan. Yeah, why would he attack the basically just this big hillbilly? Like he just goes after him. He's gonna get his ass kicked. <laughs> I, I actually have a really cool Robin uh, Ventura story that Jimmy that's gonna help. <clears throat> excuse me, help you uh, like him more. But uh, in 1999, I snapped my ankle. Had the bone sticking out, foot facing towards me, and I'm like, this this is not good. Well, the year before. Robin Ventura had done something at home plate in Sarasota, sliding in, in the spring training game. And it wasn't the, the same um, um, injury that I had, but it was very similar where leg is just flapping. Um, and he called me, and, and he didn't know me. I didn't know him. But uh, there, there were certain guys who called me who had been through something very similar. Uh, uh, Lou was one. Um, uh, Ventura was one. And so even still to this day, because Robin – uh, contacted me and Moises Alou and there's uh, uh, Brian Buchanan. Um, I still contact today. Like if you see any uh, injury on TV, which there's been a lot over the last two or three years, whether it be basketball, football, you know, Alex Smith, for instance. And um, I call, leave a message and say, hey, you know what? If, if you ever want somebody to talk to you, because the, the whole rehab process and that whole thing was, and this is what Robin told me. He goes, there's going to be a two-week process in your rehab that you're, you think you're done. Mm. You're not going to make it. But once you get over that hump, you're golden. And sure as can be, that two-week process came, and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I remembered what Robin told me. And so I passed that, that uh, information on to, to, to players, whether it be an ACL, ankle, et cetera, that, you know what, once you get past that hump, you're going to be all right if you work your butt off. So – that's my good, feel-good right. uh, Robin Ventura story for you guys. 
I, I, and again, to be clear, I loved him as a player. I just I thought it was a, an odd managerial yeah, he, he, choice. He, he didn't know how to manage the bullpen. Uh, at all, at all, at all. I, I remember one time it was a game. The uh, the the two guys, uh, I can't pull their names. The red, the both the, the announcers for Kansas City were like the, literally one time he went to the bullpen again, and the and the two Royals announcers were like, "He's going to the bullpen again!" Like they even they were like, "Enough's enough with this." No, it was it. Rex Hudler and um, Ryan uh, Lefevre because I used to work with the Royals up until maybe last year, I believe. Oh. So I was I was with them their whole ride. So yeah, and I so I got to watch Robin on a daily basis because once again, American League Central, American League Central. Right. Yes, he managing the bullpen was not his uh, strong suit. Yeah. Any other names, Jimmy? You want to throw out? You know what? I I, I don't. I, uh, I I I think you actually literally it was Sammy, and then you hit the two guy the two guys I was going to ask about, uh, Big Frank and and Robin. So. Uh, I'm covered. All right. So listen, before we let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your day sitting around doing nothing, can you tell everybody where to find Never Not Funny, your Twitter feed, if there's a Never Not Funny Twitter feed, any other things you want to throw out there? Uh, you know what? It just it can't be simpler. At Jimmy Pardo for Twitter, at Never Not Funny for the podcast Twitter, NeverNotFunny.com for the podcast, and JimmyPardo.com for me, which, of course, then links to everything else. So uh, really, JimmyPardo.com is the place to go to see – and get any nonsense that you need to about my BS. All right. And without a doubt, the best podcast that is out there. And thank you. We are so fortunate enough to have him. So Jimmy, thank you very much for, for oh, joining us. It was, it was my honor. It was my pleasure. This was uh, what a, a nice change of pace. I mean that sincerely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you.